Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. My name is Robert Connie, and joining me, as always, is Jasmine Smith. Jasmine, how are you today? I'm doing well, Robert. How are you? I am doing good. We have Colonel Pam Stevenson on the show this week. She is the Democrat. Well, she's a lot of things, but right now she is the Democratic <laughs> nominee for Attorney General, which you know we'll be voting on that election in November. So we we talked to her about the campaign. We talked to her about her vision for the Attorney General's office. We talked to her about you know uh, how her you know how her life experiences and her identity inform her service or future service in the AG's office and kind of how she would like to change some of the things that are going on there now. So it was a good interview. Uh, You know, she's in the midst of campaigning, so we did appreciate her calling in from the road while she's she's doing that. Um, So it was good to speak with her. Um, Yeah, we've talked to her lots of times, and I'm very excited about Pam's candidacy. How did you think the interview went, Jasmine? I mean, I think Colonel Pam is always great on our show. It's been a while since we talked to her. Um, but today was no different. She she always brings good energy, even when she's in standstill traffic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. She said she's trying to make her way to Northern Kentucky, and the whole time we talked, we didn't. She didn't escape Jefferson, so that's that's tough. So hopefully, hopefully she makes it to the good folks of Boone County before the night is over. But we have other stuff to talk about on the show this week. Uh, the KREF sixty day prior to the election report is out. So I I have a little thing to just updating everybody about the financial situation that all the different candidates are in. So we'll be talking about that for you know a big chunk of the show, and then we have a litany of quick hits that Jasmine put together for us just small stuff updating other show uh, other stories that we've done uh, and also just some some developments in the campaign as they've uh you know happened over the past week so without any further ado let's talk about this kref update yeah so jasmine um at the point this point in the campaign um we start getting every 30 days and i think like maybe there is even like a 15 day prior we start getting regular updates on the campaign finance situation for the kentucky registry of election finance and the the first like regular update was was just recently with the 60 day prior um and, and i think the upshot is democrats are actually doing better on pretty much every level than i thought they would be they're significantly more competitive all the way up and down the ballot than i expected them to be um you know when the primary was over so uh we'll, we'll just start at the very top uh the, the top line is basically that Andy Bashir has raised just a hair shy of $15 million, and Daniel Cameron has raised about $3 million. So that is a stark, stark divide. That is just yeah. crazy. That was uh, pretty wild to me to see the difference there. Yeah. Um, it is, it is, uh, that is contributions alone and does not include in-kind contributions and that's how most of the media has been talking about these contributions i I think it's important to include the in-kind stuff uh that raises andy bashir's total to about 16 million dollars and and uh daniel cameron's to about three million dollars so an even more stark divide um he went from 2.8 to 3 million um yeah and in-kind contributions are basically like and and i think the way that they're most commonly referred to in this campaign is like work that the the parties mostly have done for you but you know if you if you do something for somebody and you don't receive money for it you have to give a value to it and say that that's an in-kind contribution that's what that is um i I think that that counts uh and and you know when you include that is an even more stark difference um andy bashir got a big boost at the deadline he got four million bucks from the kdp that's a pretty good that's a pretty good deal 
Um, you know, I, I think that that that's that's a lot of fundraising work that Andy Bashir did himself and also a lot of fundraising work that was done on his behalf. You know, I do know mm-hmm. that most of the calls that KDP does for fin- for finance, for, for campaign finance, for raising money do include like, you know, we're working hard to elect uh, Andy Bashir, Governor Andy Bashir. So, you know, they need to work hard to elect Andy Bashir. That is uh, that is what they're doing this year. Um, and and so that's that's probably why, you know, I, I think a big a big chunk of uh, that money going to his campaign is is worthwhile and, and appropriate, but on his own, Governor Bashir has six thousand unique contri- contributors, um, and that's just during the general election period. That does not include the primary period, um, and one thousand four hundred thirty-two individuals during the general election period that gave at least two thousand um, dollars. Based on the data that I downloaded, which included all the in-kind stuff, about thirteen and a half million dollars of of Governor Bashir's money comes from the state of Kentucky. So the vast, vast majority, almost all of it. In terms of spending, Andy Bashir has spent $10.7 million on the campaign already. Uh, and the Bashir campaign put in two really big media buys for the final two months of the campaign right at the end of the quarter. Um, that's like a one, $1.9 million buy and a $1.2 million buy. So those are two big, they're like, they already have the money spent for their future media already done. Um, so their cash on hand, um, which is a substantial amount of money doesn't, are, are, that's like, that's like with the media already bought. So they're in a very, very strong financial position. Uh, there's really no other way to frame that. Daniel Cameron also got a pretty good boost at the deadline from his party, but to the tune of $200,000, so less than 10%, I think 5% of what Andy Bashir got from uh, KDP that Daniel Cameron got from RPK. He has 3,253 unique contributors, so about half as many, um, including 588 donors of about $2,000, so that's about a third a little more than a third, maybe like 40% of what of what Andy Bashir has um, in terms of max contributors. Um, about $2.6 million of his money is coming from inside Kentucky. I did see that that Daniel Cameron had, uh, you know, expenditures related to the creation of a, a new commercial, a, a shoot um, on 814. Um, that was the last media thing I really saw. So I don't think he has bought anything for the fall. So that money that he has, um, you know, the total amount of money that he has raised, Andy Bashir spent on commercials and uh, right before the deadline. So Andy Bashir spent you know, $3.1 million on ads in this report. And that's more than Daniel Cameron has raised in the entire campaign. That's just something to chew on um, that you should think about. Um, you know, in the governor's campaign, Andy Bashir is in a really, really strong position. However, of course, this the airtime and, and kind of expenditures, especially on media, is going to be evened out slightly by third-party groups. Um, you know, it may be accurate to say that we're just going to be like completely saturated with political advertising uh, in the next couple of weeks. And, and it won't just be on television. It's going to be on YouTube. It's going to be on, uh, you know, social media. It's going to be wherever you see videos pop up. They are going to be political ads. Um, it's it's a reality that, you know, the 
a lot of states have to deal with, you know, every two years because they're in really competitive congressional or presidential states. We really only have to deal with it this year because not a lot of our congressional seats are competitive. And, uh, you know, uh, we are not competitive on the presidential race. So, you know, this is the year that we have to deal with with political ads. Um, You know, I don't know, Uh, Jasmine, I I, I guess first question for you, you know, what does this stark divide mean? Do you think it all gets smoothed over with third party uh, spending on behalf of the candidates? Uh, Or or does it really matter that Andy Bashir has done so much better than Daniel Cameron? I do think that the divide might be smoothed out a bit by PACs for Daniel Cameron. And I don't know if maybe like the boost that Andy Bashir got from KDP, um, if that will encourage a larger boost for Daniel Cameron from the Republican party. Um, So I I think that divide might close a little bit, Um, but I think the divide still matters because I, I think it just shows maybe how strong the support is for Andy Bashir and maybe how disinterested people seem to be about Daniel Cameron or um, maybe just like the apathy about the Republican (laughs) candidate that they have. Um, I think that's what matters about the numbers. I, I would, I would agree with that. I think that that's a, that's a student analysis. I think it really just besides like whether or not it's going to get ironed out by third party spending, it really goes to show you the, the excitement difference uh, especially among the people who give to campaigns for Andy Bashir versus Daniel Cameron. I also just think, like, I do think that people can tell the difference between a campaign ad and a third-party ad. The third-party ads are almost exclusively attack ads. They're almost exclusively, like, Andy Bashir wants to eat your babies or whatever. Uh, yeah, and- I think... I think so too. <laughs> and 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 I really do. I mean, even the one with. I mean, I think the Daniel Cameron ad with him with the football and his kid, like that's a million times more effective in my mind than the one of you know the, with Andy Bashir, you know whatever like wants to turn all your kids trans yeah. or whatever they're trying to say. Um, you know, I, I do think that that matters. And, and Daniel Cameron's not in a position to put a lot more of those on the air unless things really turn turn around for him. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we'll move. Um, we'll we'll move on a little bit and talk <clears throat> talk about the next the next race, um, the AG's office, uh, the AG's race, which is you know we, we're talking to to Colonel Pam Stevenson later on in the show, so stick around for that. But that's really the only race with a pretty stark divide. Um, I, I would say that Russell Goldman is like pretty much the only Republican who's put a lot of effort into fundraising, and he's raised just shy of a million dollars. Pamela Stevenson has been out there working, and she has raised $225,000 herself. Um, It's worth saying that Russell Coleman did not have a primary, um, so he spent a lot of time raising money during that primary period. Uh, He built up a pretty significant fundraising war chest during that period of time. He's well-connected in the legal community as a U.S. attorney here in Kentucky. Pamela Stevenson, as a state rep from Louisville, obviously doesn't have as, like, far-reaching, you know, uh, fundraising contacts in the whole state. Um, You know, she's well-connected in Louisville, but that's kind of what you have to do. That's how you have to catch up. And she's done a pretty good job of, of catching up, you know, raising nearly a quarter of a million dollars. 
neither campaign is on the air currently. Um, I do think it's notable that Pamela Stevenson didn't have her in-kind contribu- contributions from the party listed on this report. Um, you know, I don't know when they received them or how that goes into the report, but some of the other campaigns that had, you know, maybe better looking numbers, um, they had those due to some of those in-kind uh you know contributions and i do think the party is in a position to maybe um you know help out some of these campaigns if they see an opportunity and i do think that there's an opportunity in the ag's race so we'll see what happens in the next couple of months okay buddy wheatley actually when you take into account in-kind contributions has a slight lead over michael adams in the secretary of state's race um so that's that's good uh for him you know a a lot less when you don't include those in-kind contributions but michael adams also just hasn't worked hard to raise too much money i don't think um kimberly reader is only just slightly behind the pace with uh with $115,000 to treasurer balls 120 um and in the treasurer's race michael bowman has raised one hundred and fifty one thousand dollars if you include in contributions only sixty thousand without it um whether or not you consider in-kind contributions though he's outraised mark metcalf who only has about forty thousand dollars that he's raised um the treasurer's office always is kind of like follows the path of the governor's office it's really really hard to like break out and be the treasurer who wins uh when your governor candidate candidate doesn't um i'll just i'll just put it that way um but you know there is a lot that you can do and and you know michael uh, michael bowman has been doing some stuff doing he has some expenditures that i think are unique and and i think are um, probably going to put his his campaign in a good a good spot the secretary of agriculture's race is uh one that typically does raise a good amount of money Jonathan Shell has raised $181,000. is very respectable for the Secretary of Agriculture. That's pretty, that's pretty good. But Sierra Enloe has outraised him uh, when you include in-kind contributions. Um, she's got $221,000 when you count that and, and $121,000 without in-kind contributions. So if you, only, if, you, if you don't want to include those in-kind contributions, she only trails them by $60,000. So, you know, she's got 60, you know, 66% of what he has. So that's, that's pretty good. Um, that's very impressive of her jonathan shelf former you know house majority or i guess house minority leader i guess he became majority leader later um well connected mcconnell acolyte somebody that the mcconnell camp knows loves etc sierra inlow pretty pretty much a newcomer to politics and um has been able to keep pace with Jonathan Shell in fundraising. That's that's good news. That's really good for Democrats, I think. So what does it, all of this mean? What does all of this uh, KREF information mean at the end of the, the day? You know, money in down-ballot races isn't necessarily predictive of much, I don't think. But I think it really does show us that Democrats are working really hard, at least as hard as Republicans, and they aren't giving up. You know, I, I think that there were a lot of people that were like, oh, you know, this is the Andy Bashir show. It's that Andy Bashir is the only one that has a chance. Um, that's where we got to put all our eggs in the Andy Bashir basket. These candidates are not doing that. They're working hard to raise the money. They're working hard to campaign, and they've done a good job at it. They've kept pace with their Republican opponents, and you know maybe that will pay dividends. It. I. I think if you don't, you know, if you don't raise the money, you have no chance to win. If you raise the money, you have a chance. Do you have a good chance? You know, it's Kentucky. It's a conservative state. It's a Republican state. But we we have a long history of voting pretty much straight party uh with the exception of last year the last time around was really the first time there was divided uh you know 
the governor's one party and everybody else is a different one. That's the first time that's ever happened. So I do think that there is a good chance that these candidates uh, can can make a splash, can do really well, and it really goes to show that they're working hard to do it. That's on the down ballot. Andy Brashear, there's no way to say it besides he's just doing an incredible job. Uh, he's very, very impressive. And it does mean, I think it does open the possibility that he steamrolls Daniel Cameron on the air. He reserves all this early ad time at lower prices and is able to get all of his ads up and make all the later ads that Daniel Cameron buys a lot more expensive and not as good slots. Um, and if the third party money doesn't come in because they see how much Andy Brashear has outraised Daniel Cameron by, maybe it dries up. That's the other thing. You're not in control of third party money. They can just be like, well, it looks like you're dead, so we're just not going to give you any money. We'll spend it in, you know, Mississippi, where we have a surprisingly competitive election, or you know, some of these house races or whatever, or, or save our money for the presidential next year. That could happen to him. Um, it, it probably won't. It you know, there will be some level of third party spending, but you know, it is it does open that opportunity. So, you know, that's my thought about how all this goes. Uh, Jasmine, what's your thought about all these down ballot races, and what do you think about all this in in as a whole? Yeah, I think that I was a little bit surprised to see Democrats do so well in fundraising. And I honestly can't remember how Democrats fared in fundraising in 2019 in the down ballot races um, around this time. And so I don't like have those numbers to compare it to. Um but I think the momentum just didn't feel that great then, maybe. Um, and so maybe that's why it's surprising to me. But I think the fundraising is really encouraging, especially to me, Kimberly Reader and Sierra Enloe, because they are new candidates who are running against candidates who have a lot of experience fundraising. Allison Ball has ran two state wide races before Jonathan Shell has been in the state legislature in leadership. And so um, for them to keep pace with them, I think that is really encouraging. And I also think Buddy Wheatley having a lead over Michael Adams. Um, I like to see that as well, because I think Michael Adams is maybe one of the more like popular Republicans on the ballot. Um, and so that is good to see as well. And so I, you know, I, I do think that it's good to see Democrats competing hard in these races um, and being able to raise money. I, I'm not surprised that Russell Coleman outraised Pamela Stevenson because he has kind of been like a fundraising machine this whole time. I think he like crowded people out of a, a primary race, you know, by run fundraising so early. Um, and he's continued to raise money. And so that does not surprise me. Um, but even though Pamela Stevenson has raised a lot less money, I think aside from Andy Bashir, she probably has like the second most name recognition um, in the race. And so I, I hope that her name recognition can make up um, for some of that in her race. Yeah, I, I think that that's right. I think that uh, all of that's right. I think from what you said about, uh, you know, the newcomers doing really well to the fact that, like, you know, I think that all of this, uh, I mean, it's, it's just good news for Democrats. I think, you know, it, yeah. it, it's it's hard to say 
it's going to be good enough for them to and it'll be favored in any of these races or anything but it's just the baseline that you need um to do a, do a good job right and and i see what you're saying about how there hasn't been a pattern of you know just one democrat winning and then republicans winning all the down ballot races it only happened the one time but i, I think i think democrats have been discouraged just because of several years of legislative races of Democrats losing hard. And, Mm -hmm. and so that's, that's where a lot of that discouragement comes from, not just um, that one year of statewide races. And so, um, you know, fundraising numbers certainly don't tell you everything, but it is good to see a competitive democratic slate this year. Mm -hmm. Just for context, 2019, uh, Andy Bashir in his entire statewide race raised five point five million dollars. <laughs> wow! Uh, and Matt Bevan, I'm just gonna pull this up. I, I just thought to do that just a second ago. Matt Bevan raised five point two million dollars. So Daniel Cameron is off the pace of Matt Bevan, and Andy Bashir has just blown his old number out of the water. So yeah. we're like really in kind of uncharted territory in terms of the <laughs> amount of money that's been raised for, for this race. Like it is, it's truly a lot. It's And it, uh, there have been a lot of money raised for these races in the past. I don't know if it's ever been this much, but like uh, when there has been a large number, it is a lot of times from self-funding, which is not what mm-hmm. Andy Bashir is doing. Um, he's raised $15 million without, I mean, maybe a little bit of self-funding, but that's not a big part of what he's doing. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, it, it it's good news. It's good news. Yeah, uh, definitely. It's it's uh, it's you know, does it? What does it mean? That's up for interpretation. But it's definitely not bad news. It's good news. Which it feels weird. I don't know what to do with my hands when we have good news on the yeah, show. Yeah, we never. Yeah, yeah, we never have that. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, Jasmine. Let's get to some of these quick hits. Okay, so last week we mentioned that Justice Lawrence Van Meter will not run for re-election to the Kentucky Supreme Court. Um, and so very shortly after that, on Friday, Court of Appeals Judge Pamela Goodwin announced that she will run for Van Meter's seat. Goodwin was first elected to the Court of Appeals in 2018. That's where she is now. Before that, she served 15 years as a Fayette Circuit Court judge and four years as a Fayette District Court judge. And she was the first African-American woman to serve on the bench in Fayette County. Yeah. I love, I love Judge Goodwine. I think she is, she's tough. She's fair. She's smart. I think she'll be a great candidate for Supreme Court. That's awesome. I, 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 whenever you like a judge, that makes me really excited. Um, it's been, I don't think that there are no, there are currently no black people on the Supreme Court. Um, yeah. There have been uh, in the past. There, it's not like a situation where there hasn't ever been a black person on the Supreme Court, but we don't have any now. I don't think that there has ever been a black woman on the Supreme Court. I actually don't know that for sure, so I probably shouldn't say that. But uh, yeah, I mean, this would be this would be a, a good step in in re diversifying the Kentucky Supreme Court, which is is definitely in need of that, um, given that it's very white currently. So for sure, I'm excited to see how that race shapes up. Yeah, so the next quick hit um, is about the education commissioner. Jason Glass's resignation left a vacancy for the Kentucky education commissioner position. And last week, the Kentucky Board of Education named Robin Kinney as the interim commissioner. 
She was already um, an associate commissioner within the Kentucky Department of Education in the Office of Finance and Operations. And um, there will be a national search for glasses replacement. Kenny was also the interim commissioner uh, for a time after Wayne Lewis left the role. Remember him? Oh, how could you forget? So she's <laughs> she's like the permanent interim. That's like how that's how we do it in our church. Whenever we have a, a need for an interim pastor, we always get the same guy to do it. So maybe that's what she's doing for the the Kentucky Department of Education. It will be tough for them to find somebody new. I mean, that was something that Jason Glass kind of said on the way out. So best of luck to the, to the um, KDE, the Kentucky Board of Education, um, as they try to figure that out. Um, but yeah, it sounds like they're in good hands uh, with an interim that knows what she's doing. So that's good. Uh, next is an update on the UAW strike. So UAW did not reach an agreement before their contracts ended last week. So on Thursday at midnight, they launched a strike and targeted three different plants. So workers went on strike at GM Wentzville Assembly in Missouri, Stellantis Toledo Assembly in Ohio, and Ford Michigan Assembly Plant. And so Kentucky workers are not on strike as of right now. Um, UAW, of course, has, you know, threatened for more plants to strike. Um, if there aren't, you know, negotiations for a better contract being made. Um, so this is the first time that UAW has been on strike at all three of the big three companies at one time. So um, it's a pretty historic strike. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, and, and, you know, here's hoping that it gets better before it gets worse, because, you know, it certainly is the case that the UAW did not take as big a swing as they could have they could have gone on strike nationwide at all the plants at once that was because their contract expired that was within you know their their rights to do so um but it is that's not what they did but they certainly could get to that space if uh you know if if the 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 big three automakers don't you know um, negotiate in good faith and, and get get the workers what they need. So uh, we will we will. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm watching this every day. It seems like that there have been some advances in negotiation. It's clear that they're talking. So here's hoping that the workers, uh, you know, get get what they get what they're asking for, um, and and you know we can continue everybody working without having to be on strike for too long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So next, um, Robert mentioned on a previous show that early childhood education has not returned for the school year at JCPS, but they now have a start date and they will go back September 25th, which is next week. And the instruction schedule has been modified to 1030 to 130 to accommodate the current transportation issues. I don't know what the hours were before the article. Goal said it had been modified to 10.30 to 1.30. Yeah, they're still, like, there most of the day. They just switched the hours of instruction around a little bit, I think. So I think kids mostly are still there, like, the whole day. But, yeah, they just kind of moved within the day when they're doing this stuff. Okay. So for the first two weeks, the district will provide transportation for only students with IEPs. Um, but transfer- transportation for all early childhood students won't begin until October 9th. Um JCPS is also working to provide a monetary stipend for parents who can transport their child to and from. Um, and so that that could be helpful to alleviate some transportation issues. But I kind of would think that the the parents who 
can transport their kids might already be. I don't know. But it's, maybe that would be some encouragement to maybe find a family member who could do it. Yeah, um, I think that that's a big thing. I mean, the JCPS Early Childhood Education Program is for like, it's a means tested program. So it's like poorer kids. It's kids that have parents who have lower income. So mm-hmm. they, they already have like, it's, you know, that, that's also related to people who have more transportation issues. Um, and then also it is, uh, you know, it is for little kids. So, you know, um, getting transportation for little kids is the hardest thing to figure out how to do. Um, and, and yeah, so figuring out, um, you know, you know, transfer a lot of these people, like, you know, you may not have regular access to a car, you may have to pay, you know, your a neighbor or friend or something and getting a stipend would be helpful for, for that or, you know, give you the money to get the car that you have repaired. I know that that's a big issue that a lot mm-hmm. of people face all the time, too. So, you know, it, Getting that transportation up and going is the best way to get make sure that these kids get in school and get get the the you know the education that they need. Um, it's it's really important that we get this thing off the ground. And it seems like that's it, it's been slow going. It's been a hard problem to fix, uh, but it sounds like there's a plan in place. And here's hoping that you know um, everything gets gets uh, resolved by early October, as is the plan. Yeah, and one last quick hit, um, a little bit of a campaign quick hit. Daniel Cameron has now express support for rape and incest exceptions to abortion which has been a departure from his previous previous comments about it or something he's never mentioned before um he said there's no question he'd sign that type of legislation on the tony and dwight show on 840 whas but in primary debates he's said that he supports the current law which is the the life trigger the, ban on yeah. abortion. Um, Basically just life of the mother, nothing else. Yeah. yeah. And he's also defended it in court. Um, and so, I don't know, Robert, what, what are your thoughts about his um, new comments? It's mind-boggling. It's literally <laughs> mind-boggling. I, I just cannot even, like, the way that he said it was like, Oh yeah, there's no question. Like, no what do you mean? Question. What do you mean? There's no question. I have so many questions. Uh, and and I will say, like um, Linda Blackford, who is a writer for the the Herald Leader, uh, one of the best columnists in the state, if not the very best, um, wrote a really good column about like what this all means. And it's like you, you know, how do we feel about this? Like he, he's he's moderating his position. Shouldn't that be good? And it's like I don't trust that. I don't trust him. Like I just don't like you. If you change your if you change your position from something so hard line to something that's like slightly less hard line, but maybe like, uh, you know, still pretty bad, but like maybe slightly better. Like, why did you take that hard line in the first place? And why would you like, why would you change your position? And like, what is it like, what, what is it like? What does it mean? What does it matter? Um, you know, I don't know. The, the fact of the matter is the legislature is going to have to come around on this first, um, it would be great if, if Daniel Cameron does become the governor. I hope we do get a rape, incest, and fetal abnormality um, exception added into the the, the you know the, the law. Um, but I just like I just can't I just like it sound it, obviously this issue is something that Republicans are having to finesse when they didn't expect to have to do that, um, mm-hmm. and they're not they're not doing a great job of it. It, it. it is. It's just like it's just nuts that this that this is happening um to 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 daniel cameron and and in this campaign um do you you have any like you know hot takes on it jasmine or besides just the facts of the matter no i don't have any hot takes i think it's just that 
polling is showing that he he has an extreme position that's not popular. Yeah. Well, I you know, Andy Bashir does have like a campaign ad from the campaign itself. This is not like a third party ad. This is an uh, Andy Bashir campaign ad about abortion. Um, and, and Andy Bashir is kind of known as a, you know, and I think it's totally fair. I, I, I don't think he would try away from this description as, as a pretty cautious candidate. You know, he's not going to take big swings. He's going to do the smart things and do them really well. I, I recently, I think, compared him to like, um, you know, a point guard that shoots 99% free throws. Uh, like he's just going to do all of the baseline easy stuff like very, very, very well. Um, and, and so a lot of people were like, I can't believe he's gone up with an ad about this. And it's just like all that what that tells me is that this is a big, big winning issue for Democrats in Kentucky. I mean, because it's just the humane thing to do. I, it's just crazy that we have gotten to this point with this issue. Uh, and, and I you know, hopefully we can, you know, actually see some policy change because of how unpopular the Republican position is. That's the real thing I want to take away mm-hmm. from this is like maybe the Republicans are finally waking up to how far out of step they are on this issue. And we need to start treating people like humans and, and letting people make decisions about their bodies. Like, good Lord, like, let's 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 get some humanity back into the, the, the laws of the state. Um, there's other places we, we should do that, too. But abortion would be a, a, a good start. So, you know, I don't know. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. <sighs> That's all the quickets you had, Jasmine. Do you have any others that you're you're holding in your head before you didn't write them down? Uh, well, the last thing is that oral arguments were oh. heard today before the Supreme Court in the redistricting case. Um, and so I don't have, like, notes on the content of them um because they just happened today while i was working um but yeah that happened so i think that usually means um after the appellate courts in kentucky can take as long as they want to issue an opinion but typically after oral argument you do usually get an opinion in like the coming months um so maybe we could see that soon yeah, I did. Uh, if uh, I read, I was following the tweets of Austin Horn, the journalist from the Herald Leader, about this, uh, about the oral arguments as they were going. It's really hard for me to say who did better in oral arguments, even if I had like the full transcript. I was trying to follow like the Twitter <laughs> yeah. thread. Yeah, uh, lots of questions about James Comer's uh, Frankfurt district. Um, yeah, a lot. But then a lot of discussions about like what does it really matter? Republicans are going to dominate you no matter what, which is really. Sad. <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah so um you know it's hard to say it's hard to say what's going on it is the fact that like democrats are shooting for like a new interpretation of the law they're looking for like something unprecedented to happen which is you know how precedent gets set and i think it would be an important precedent to set um but we will we will see how the arguments how the arguments go um, I guess one last thing I have to say is uh, Brereton Jones, former governor of Kentucky, passed away this week. Um, he was – I don't think he was the governor when I was born. He, but he was like one of the first governors that I like remember being the governor. Um, really interesting guy. Uh, really passionate about health care. Was in like a helicopter crash and then decided that he would dedicate his the rest of his administration to trying to fix health care. Um, so that was really interesting. He got a lot done. Um, and, you know, he was a, a good governor, I think. Um, so don't want to overlook him. He was the last governor that served a single term because that was the law when he was the governor. Um, so, uh, you know, thoughts to his family. Um, 
a million years ago, Jasmine, I had a movie podcast and uh, we had a person on that podcast a lot with us. And it wasn't until like I was done on the podcast that I realized it was Brereton Jones's daughter. So, <laughs> so I was th- thinking about her this week. So, um, you know, he was a good guy. We'll, we will remember him. Um, all right. Let's go ahead now and get to our interview with Pamela Stevenson. Colonel Pamela Stevenson is the Democratic nominee for Attorney General and a member of the Kentucky House. She won her first term for the House in 2020 and was reelected in 2022. Colonel Stevenson retired after serving 27 years in the U.S. Air Force as a judge advocate or a JAG. Uh, she also founded the Stevenson Law Center, a nonprofit law firm which is dedicated to serving veterans, the elderly, and working families. So, Colonel Pamela Stevenson, welcome back to my old Kentucky podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I am thrilled to be with you and Robert. Oh man, uh, you know you are you are out there running. We're in the middle of the campaign. We're after Labor Day. I'm sure you've been to like a thousand places. So, you know, we're excited to see if you're able to bring like the normal amount of Colonel Pamela Stevenson energy that you're known for on the show to this to this interview. So we're, we're excited to see it happen. Uh, so, yeah, like we said, we have talked to you several times in the past about your service as a legislator, but you're looking for a new job. Uh, you know, as soon as people were like, who's going to run for office? The first thing I heard was, I, I think Pamela Stevenson is going to run for attorney general and sure enough you did so can you tell us like why you decided to do that why you had your eye on that job and and how you ended up running for this seat i i'm just trying to figure out how people know more about my business than i do <laughs> you work in politics that's how it goes <laughs> well you know when i retired in 2011 as a colonel with uh 27 years of experience all i wanted to do was come back home to kentucky and do for kentuckians what i did for america move us towards the promise of Kentucky. And that's one of the reasons why I ran for state rep. And what I was, I was really enjoying, and I still enjoy being a state rep. And Governor Bashir asked me to run for attorney general. I said, yes. I've been practicing law for almost 40 years. And I understand from being at uh, practicing law at the international, national, state, and local levels the importance of the AG's office. Uh, the AG, she is more than just the chief law enforcement officer. She's the people's attorney. And that's what needs to return to that office. She's the people attorney. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hopefully that is the case soon for sure. Uh, right now, though, Daniel Cameron uh, is the attorney general, and he is the first Republican to hold this seat in a very long time. Um, I would expect that if you are elected, uh, the direction of the office would change in some pretty substantial ways. So why don't you just lay out a few of those? Like, how is how is the attorney general's office likely to change with you in charge versus the folks that are running the, the show over there now? Well, for 27 years, I have put service above self. We and thousands of other military members uh, sacrifice for the promise of America. We put people first all the time. And the first thing I want to do is take the politics out of that office and return it to the people. That office belongs to the people. The, the attorney general should be working on Kentuckians' behalf and not against them. Sometimes, so for example, what about having fully staffed satellite offices throughout the state so that every regular Kentuckian can access our office are going to court against 
companies that are hurting Kentuckians instead of a sitting governor? Why not make sure that if companies pour things like opioids uh, into our state, that they know they're going to get punished? I'm here to serve each and every Kentuckian and move our state forward. Absolutely. Um, I would probably add to the list that you'll like show up to work. Um, I think that that's likely to happen uh, if you become the attorney general, which will be an improvement over the current situation. So uh, Daniel Cameron, in addition to being the first Republican to hold the office uh, in a long time, he's, he's also the first black person to hold the attorney general's office. You know, you would be the first woman to hold the job, but you'd be the first black Democrat to hold the job as well. So you'd be check as as you have in many times in your life, you'd be checking off a lot of firsts, uh, first person to do this. You're you know, I think also one thing we need to mention, you'd be the first veteran in a very long time to serve as attorney general. I, I was trying to figure out how long it's been. It's been a really long time before I could find anybody that had confirmed uh, had any kind of, uh, you know, military service. Um, and, and I'm just curious, you know, talk to us a little bit about how the different parts of your identity and, and your life experiences and the things that you do would inform uh, the, the way that you would perform the role uh, of attorney general. You know, in my 27 years of serving in the Air Force, I took on the toughest jobs. I was the chief prosecutor. I litigated hundreds of cases. I went to Africa with the State Department to resolve order after a war. I resolved the hostage crisis in Croatia, acted as a legal liaison to the United Nations. I assisted the 9-11 Commission, and then I deployed to the Middle East. And like I like to say, that was all on a Monday. I am prepared from day one to return this office back to the people of Kentucky and keep Kentucky moving forward. I've done a very similar job like this for the Air Force many times over, and I'm now ready to do it for Kentucky. So we've talked a little bit about the role of attorney general, but we also wanted to talk a little bit to you about campaigning. And I know you're on the road today um, and you've run for office several times, but this is your first race outside of Louisville. So tell us a bit about how it's gone for you so far campaigning um, outside of Louisville and going to more rural areas, areas of the state. You know, what have you learned about Kentucky as you've been running for office this year? Uh, Kentuckians have confirmed what I suspected, that we have everything we need to make the difference that needs to be made. And Kentucky will lead the other 49 states in how we take care of our families and how we move forward. In each of the counties that I have been in, um, I come across voters. And once they realize that I'm really listening, they have a lot to say. Mm -hmm. They want their government to be for the people, by the people, to serve the people. I went into uh, a, um, a conference, and after I finished speaking, one of the county execs came out and asked if he could talk with me. He says, look, I'm a Republican, and you're a Democrat, but we can work together. We agree on a lot of things. And that just confirmed to me that all people want is three things. They want their children to do better. They want their families to thrive. And they want the life, the time we're here on this earth for this time to matter, to make a difference. I get that all over the Commonwealth. People just want to be heard and they want to move towards the promise of Kentucky. 
Yeah. And I mean, we've always known you as someone who will work with, with anyone to do the right thing in the legislature. And I'm sure that um, that's been no different, you know, in this race for attorney general and how you would um, serve in that role as well. Um, but, you know, being, being a candidate in a statewide race um, during these elections for executive offices, the race for governor sucks up a lot of the oxygen sometimes. And so what have you been doing to try to make your own mark in the election? You know, I um, have proven that some people call me short. I don't call me short. <laughs> My, I have a friend who is very short who also says that. She's always like, I'm not short. I don't feel short. I uh, know. I, I just realized that you can be kind and speak truth. And I, ten, and I intend on doing it both. I, you know, look at Fancy Farm. It was a different experience. And I continue to have fun, say what needs to be said, and keep it moving. And most importantly, I do a lot of listening. And people want to know that the government uh, leaders are listening and tending to their business, not running their lives. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I think that the Democrats have put up a very united front this year. And so tell us a bit about the slate um, that you're part of and how you feel about the Democrats chances in the general. Grateful, grateful, grateful for Andy Bashir. Um, he has put a great slate together and it is no wonder that he is the, the most popular Democratic governor in the country. It is no wonder that people all over the Commonwealth, no matter what their uh, party is, appreciate all he's done to save lives of Kentuckians. He knows what it's like to run a race statewide. He's done it before. He's done it twice before. Mm -hmm. And I'm honored that he supports me and my campaign. Our slate, if you look at it, Kim Reader, she was named the top 40 in accounting. She went to Harvard, Yale. Yeah. She is just brilliant. Uh, Sierra Inlow, she knows more about agriculture than most people have forgotten. <laughs> or, I can say it the other way. She's forgotten more than most people ever knew. And she knows how to tie the agricultural uh, uh, together, industry together, to make income for this state. And then you have Buddy. I served with him in the state house and he has a heart for people voting and making sure that the foundation of America voting is preserved and is easy and accessible for people to do. He will not be working for people that, are, um, that believe that the election was stolen. He doesn't take clients like that. Um, and then finally, we have our treasurer. Michael Bowman has a lot of energy, and he's the most qualified uh, person to run in that position in over 40 years. And we all like each other. <laughs> That's we, great. <laughs> we, we will work well together. And what's more important about this all-star slate is that for once, the governor will have 
partners in moving Kentucky forward rather than people that are trying to harm him at every turn. We're all interested in Kentucky's future. We're all interested in not left or right, as Andy says, but moving Kentucky forward. We will not divide our state. We will make sure that every family has what they need to thrive. Absolutely. And, and I think people, uh, you know, if, if you haven't been paying attention for a very long time, you may not know what it's like to have a Democratic governor and a Democratic attorney general working at the same time. But there's a lot of really good stuff that can start to happen if those two things are, are in the hands of the Democratic Party. You know, um, that last time that happened, you know, it was Jack Conway and Steve Bashir, and they did a lot of good stuff. So, you know, looking forward to, to even even more good stuff with uh, with Andy and Pam. So there you go. Uh in the uh, in the attorney general's uh, the attorney general in the state of Kentucky, like you mentioned earlier, um, it's more than the chief law enforcement officer, but it is the chief law enforcement officer. It's also the top prosecutor. Um, you know, law enforcement and prosecution um, of different crimes they've been a major topic in Louisville and in the rest of Kentucky uh, since 2020. And and the way in which we we deal with those issues in the state has been something that a lot of people have really been concerned about. So if you step into this this job uh, how what's your vision for how to do it what's your vision for for uh, addressing you know maybe prosecution and law enforcement from a more holistic uh, uh, you know viewpoint or or from um something that's you know maybe even more restorative in in, in nature uh yeah you know when i was in the air force i was the chief prosecutor when i also worked with law enforcement professionals to guide their investigations make sure they had probable cause make sure they provided the service to the community to keep families safe i accomplished unprecedented results in harsh environments in war zones in places where i didn't speak the language and quite frankly in places where i was not welcome i came back home to continue this work for the people of kentucky um as attorney general every I've got a lot of plans that my team says, start with three. First of all, everybody wants to live in safe communities. Somehow we think that um, certain people like living in safe communities and others don't. We will make our communities safer by putting violent criminals behind bars and making sure our system is fair. The basics, you do the crime, you do the time, and that is done fairly. As attorney general, I want to protect our most vulnerable. Yes, it is true that the criminal justice side gets a lot of attention. The victims don't get as much attention as they need. Uh, But we have another side of the office, which is the civil law side. And on that side, we get to take care of our most vulnerable citizens, the elderly, children, veterans, the differently abled. Something as simple as, are we in compliance with the ADA, the um, American Disabilities Act? If this world were designed by people in wheelchairs, the walk across the street button would be at waist level instead of shoulder level. So, and, and then the, the aging of Kentucky. We ought to be making sure that uh, our elderly, the rest of their life is the best of their life and not have them be scammed taken advantage of and set over in the corner and told to be quiet. So we have to protect our most vulnerable. Then we have to partner with law enforcement professionals. We've got to stop the flow of fentanyl and opioids and make sure that people that are struggling with addiction get treatment. The Office of Attorney General is a resource 
for everyone in the Commonwealth. It's that simple. If the people in Kentucky thrive, then the um, Kentucky will thrive. And this only happens when we work together. We've got, I've lived in a lot of places and we have everything we need so we can move the state forward and we can make sure that people are flocking to the state of Kentucky because of the life of people that live here. Yeah, definitely. So we've asked you a lot of specific questions today, um, but we also wanted to kind of open the floor uh, for you and ask you if there's any other major issues that you'd like to talk about. Oh, you know what it's like asking a preacher, a legislator, (laughs) and an attorney. Something else you want to talk about? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to say I see... Well, let me ask you this. Did you guys know that I'm a quilter and I won second place in the Kentucky State Yes, Fair? I did know that. I've seen some okay. of your quilts before when I've heard you speak. Thank you. And that's the way I see the Commonwealth. Like when I quilt, I take pieces of fabric and bind them together with thread to make a beautiful quilt. I see the AG as the thread that binds together the county attorneys, the counties, the law enforcement officials, and people across the Commonwealth to have a beautiful landscape of family life and, and an economy in the Commonwealth. So we, while we have some work to do, we have all the pieces. Now, this, uh, the second thing is this race is closer than ever before. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, the Republicans were not going to put any money into it. And as of this week, they're putting a lot of money into it. So that tells me they either got a poll or some information that helped them take action. We have the most popular Democratic governor, and I am more than qualified to be uh, AG from day one. And I'd like to say, if you really look at it, why is it that uh, they want to change the constitution at this point? Because I am more qualified than the man who's in the job. And I'm certainly more qualified than the man who wants the job. So we are going to keep moving forward because Kentuckians deserve the best. They deserve someone who has the heart for them, for their families. They deserve to know that the government is working for them and not against them. And we, our data shows us that when people find out that I am a 27 year military veteran retired as a colonel or ordained minister, I win. I just need to reach all of Kentucky's voters mm-hmm. so that they can get the message of who I am. And when we vote, we win. We're on the right side of taking care of people. And we're going to prove that love never fails kindness never fails and being a champion for humanity never fails well we certainly hope that we're part of uh getting your background and getting your uh your name known across the state for sure um and we appreciate you coming to join us while you're in the midst of campaigning but if people want to join this campaign if people want to help you out if people want to you know help uh, help their neighbors help their friends learn more about our colonel pam and, and help you get elected um how how can they do that how can people uh, join your campaign well, here, here's what I would say. Now is the time. We often like to say, 
being election is the most important. But we are here. We are seeing it in the House. We're seeing it in the Senate that democracy is at risk, that living for something bigger than self is at risk. We need everyone to lean in. We need everyone to take a stand for the freedoms that we have. We need everyone to do what they can to make sure that a hundred years from now, when they have another pandemic, they will look back at us and say, they did the work that needed to be done to preserve the promise of America. And we do that on my campaign. If you go to pam 4 ag P-A-M-F-O-R-A-G.com, whatever it is you would like to do, we have a lot of different things and we want people to be involved, not just in a presidential year, but all the time. One of the most frightening things is people think that bad things can't happen to a democracy because we are democracy. And we're here to tell them that's exactly how you can lose a democracy because you are one. We've got to do the work to maintain what our founding fathers and mothers started hundreds of years ago. Right now, today, everyone should say, not on my watch will we lose a democracy and not on my watch will I allow someone to take away the rights so that my grandkids have less rights than I had when I was growing up. All right. Well, Colonel Representative Pamela Stevenson, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you being on today. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate you and Jasmine. Thank you for the work you do in the community. Thank you for making sure that people have information they need to not only run their lives, but to engage in their community. That's who you are, Robert and Jasmine. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Okay, Jasmine, how can people get a hold of us? They can find us on Twitter and Instagram at my old Pod. They can like our Facebook page and listen to our podcast on the podcast app of their choice. We also have a newsletter you can subscribe to at tinyletter.com slash my old Kentucky newsletter. And you can support what we're doing on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. You can do that at patreon.com slash my old Kentucky podcast. And last but not least, we're part of the Dimcast Network and the Ford Kentucky Network. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. We will see you next week.